So we're on lesson two of our fall quarter. And this is in, uh, the title of the lesson is Jesus Responds to Human Needs. The scriptures we'll cover today are Mark 1, verse 35, to chapter 3, verse 6. So Lord, we thank you for this account of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, and there's much that we can learn from him and from how he dealt with how he dealt with things. So we pray that you would uh, teach us how we might follow him in the church age. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot of little sections in this lesson. Uh, there's five. The first section is Jesus Prays and Heals, and that's chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. So I'll read that one. Chapter 1, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companion searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around, to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Okay, so what Jesus gives, an exa gives us an example here in verse 35. It says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying. So that is a good example. He got up to pray before starting his day. So how important is prayer to us? Yeah, that is our connection. I find it very useful for planning of my day, you know. So that's our quiet time, right? You know, that's kind of a thing we do, quiet time. Um, I think that's very important for a believer to do. And you can do it any time, but um, I think it's very good to do it early in the morning and expose yourself to Scripture and then pray about whatever comes to mind. You know, and the Scripture will bring things to mind to pray about, and then things in your life obviously are going on that you're going to want to pray about too. But that is a very good example, and that's part of, you know, Christianity is not a set of rules, it is a relationship with God. And that is maintaining that relationship. 
So then verse 36 and 37, Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So this is kind of a, a sign of spiritual immaturity. Peter was a little bit immature as a disciple. You know, we see that. To think that's more important, that action is more important than prayer. We tend to do that, too, sometimes, to think that it's more important to do things than to pray about it. That's not... Right, right. Uh, prayer comes first. You know, prayer does come first. Luke 18.1, Jesus told them a parable that um, men always ought to pray and never give up. Always ought to pray and never give up. Right. And that's First Thessalonians 5.17. We're told in the church that we're to pray without ceasing. So we... We always want to be in communication with the Lord. And that's a learned thing as you grow. But that's how he guides you. So verse 38, Jesus said to them, Let us go somewhere else, to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. So he, and what was he preaching at this time? Anybody remember? He's preaching a gospel, but it's not the gospel that we preach. We preach the gospel of personal salvation, right? At this time, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So he's preaching the Messiah has come. And if you enthrone the Messiah, the kingdom will come, which is this utopia that's described in the Old Testament. So, and he said that it was... This is what he came for, is to preach all around, but only all around Israel, not all around everywhere. And we see that in Mark 10 and verse 5 and 6, that this gospel of the kingdom is limited to Israel. No, I'm sorry, it's Matthew 10. This is when Jesus sent out the twelve. It says, these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The gospel of the kingdom is for Israel. Israel has to respond. And that's still true. The kingdom will not come until Israel responds to the gospel of the kingdom by accepting their king. Um, and early in his ministry, that is what he was doing. So verse 39, he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. So there was a lot of demonic activity coming against Jesus. But he was doing what we should be doing as believers. He was preaching and casting out demons. What did Paul say in his last letter? He said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So we want to be preaching the word. Um, I don't know how many demons we'll be casting out. <laughs> um, we can pray for demons to leave people. So, um, and then I think God will directly answer that rather than us having the, the gift of demon casting like the apostles did. And then in verse 40 and 41, there, there was a, something unique that happened here. And Dane taught us about this in the life of the Messiah. A leper came up to Jesus. This is a Jewish leper and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So, you know, if you're willing to get close to me, I guess, you know, because they were supposed to be unclean, live outside the city, wear torn clothes, cover their face, and yell out they're unclean all the time. So there had been not in the, since the Mosaic Law was given, there hadn't been the healing of a Jewish leper in Israel. Naaman was healed. He was a Gentile by Elisha. And, um, but so this is a messianic miracle that only the Messiah could do. Um, so this should have notified them that, hey, this is the Messiah here. But they, they missed it. And notice also that he touched him. Now, was that according to the law? We weren't supposed to touch the unclean, right? So this is from Leviticus. Leviticus 13.45 says, As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, the hair of his head shall be uncovered, he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Well, I guess it doesn't say not to touch. It says he's unclean. You know, usually if you get ritual uncleanness, you're, you have to, you know, bathe and, and you're unclean until evening and then you can go about. So, yeah, it would probably be blasphemous to me to say that Jesus broke the Mosaic Law. <laughs> so I don't think he did do that. But he was willing to touch him to to heal him. You know, he did not have to touch him to heal him. He could have just heal him. So that that is a sign of of care, sign of concern, a sign of love. And notice in verse forty two. The healing was immediate. It wasn't gradual. It was miraculous and immediate. And then verse 43, Jesus wanted him to go, go to the priest and offer, because a sacrifice was to be offered when you're clean, cleansed from leprosy. And there was a ritual to go through. And it had never been done in the history of Israel. And so... He wanted them to him to go to the priest and tell him I was healed of leprosy and this gentleman 
healed me, and I need to do my sacrifice as a, a witness to them. And he may have done that, but he also didn't listen to what he said. He said, don't tell anybody else, that he went and told everybody else. He went out and began to proclaim it freely. You know, that's part of our sin nature. We do what we feel like <laughs> many times. So anything about that section? So we want to be prayers. We want to be prayers. So section B is that Jesus forgives. Now that is chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Somebody want to read that section? Okay. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so... <clears throat> So this is, yeah, they came and they, I, I think this was Peter's house, and they tore up Peter's roof. <laughs> they came and tore up Peter's roof to get this paralytic in, inside. And there was no rebuke to them for this. So, yeah, in verse 1, when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. So Jesus said he didn't have a home, so I do think this is Peter's home. Remember, he went, he had healed Peter's mother-in-law there earlier. So this is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he was, many were gathered there, and he was speaking the word to them. So Jesus was teaching the Bible to them. That is mainly what we do here in our church. We teach the Bible because the Bible is the mechanism by which believers grow in their faith and maturity. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's speaking the word to them. So Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so that is why we do this, because we want our faith to grow. Then verses 3 and 4, they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. So now, in the church age, if someone is sick, what does the Bible tell us to do? Yeah. You can always pray for them. Yeah. But the uh, James 5 tells a, tells a person, if they are sick, the sick person is to call the elders of the church, okay, to come to him and pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I've heard different things about what the anointing with oil means, um, I've heard people say, well, that's, you know, the medical treatment. Um, that is what that speaks to because they used oil for medicinal purposes in uh, biblical times. Um, I have several times just put oil on someone <laughs> and prayed for them um, because that's what it says to do. And, uh, and uh, we've seen healings. We have seen healings, you know. It it is contingent on whether it is God's will that the person is healed. 
It is not always God's will that a person is healed. But in James 5, 14 and 15, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Then you must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So that kind of goes along with what we see here, doesn't it? So they bring this paralytic, and they bring him through there, and so he's ill, he's paralyzed, and Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven. Which makes you wonder, well, maybe sins had something to do with his illness. Sins can have things to do with your illness, right? They don't always. But we are sinners. And sin makes us sick. <laughs> and so, you know, because sin is very bound up in this James passage, you know, if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Right. He does what is more important first. He forgives his sins first, which is more important than the physical. And, you know, this huge crowd is gathering so much that they had to dig a hole in the roof to get to him. So Jesus is gaining a very large reputation as a miracle worker, miracle-working healer. And uh, so then in verse 5, yeah, Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytics, and your sins are forgiven. And they were looking for physical healing. Jesus concentrated on what he needed more. This is the problem with the social gospel. Okay? Sometimes, many times, the church emphasizes people's physical needs. They're, they're hungry. They're homeless. You know, they're drug addicted. They're this, they're that at the detriment of their spiritual needs, which are more important. They're going to hell because they're unsaved. That is more important than if they're hungry. That is more important than if they're homeless. The fact that they're going to hell is more important than any of those things. So, But we, we need to be on guard against that, that tendency to, well, if we just fix the, yeah, if we just fix, and the least important one, if we just fix the problem of homelessness, if we and or you know drug addiction, then everything will be okay. No, things will not be okay. People need to understand they need a savior, and they need to accept that savior. Yeah, if you want permanent change, if you want permanent change, uh, people need to be born again. So Jesus here is claiming deity, isn't he? When he says, son, your sins are forgiven. That is a claim to be God, right? Because only God can do that. <laughs> you know, I can't forgive your sins. You know, you can't forgive my sins. God can forgive your sins. So um, this, this is what got them really mad. Then verses 6 through 8, But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And notice, they were not saying this out loud. 
They were thinking this. And Jesus, aware in his spirit, what is that an indication of? He's aware in his spirit of what they're thinking. Right? Yeah, that's he's showing his omniscience. Jesus did not lose any of his attributes when he put on humanity. He, yeah. And he has the attributes of God. He has omniscience. He has omnipresence. He has omnipotence. He chose to relinquish the independent use of those powers when he became human. And he relied entirely on the Father, on the Father's will and the Spirit's power. But here it shows that he is omniscient, and he can, you don't have to say it. <laughs> he will read your thoughts. And, he, and that's what he did. He read their thoughts, and then he conversed with them based on their thought. Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Why are you saying, I am blaspheming because I have forgiven this gentleman's sin? I got so many notes here, I lose my place. But we know that God can do this from Psalm 139. That God knows our thoughts. So we can we can pray to God without speaking, right? We don't have to speak. We can think. So this is Psalm 139. Uh Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. That is what Jesus was demonstrating here to the uh, these people, the Pharisees or whoever it was. Was it Pharisees? I don't think it said they were Pharisees. No, they were scribes. Scribes, yeah. So, yeah, so he says, okay, well, you know, for the forgiveness of sins is something that's unseen. He says, your sins are forgiven. You say, okay. And he says, which is easier? Well, actually, it is easier to make them walk and to forgive their sins, because the forgiveness of sins requires his death. <laughs> Eventually it will require Jesus' death, but he said, so you can see something, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. Um, but actually the forgiveness of sins is the harder part, because it requires the death of the Son of God to do it. Yeah, and so he got up immediately. That's a word, euthus, that Mark likes a lot. Picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I'm sure it was thrilling. And so these miracles were to authenticate his claim. His claim was that he was the Messiah of Israel. Okay, anything more about that one? So, section C, Jesus calls Levi. That is chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. I'll read that one. 
And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Yeah, Bob Cox used to say that. The church is a hospital for sinners. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so when you come in, when you believe in Jesus, you, you're turned from the dead. But we still have a lot of, as you're just born again, you have a lot of hangover, uh, maladaptive ways <laughs> that you've learned in your life, you know, that you need to learn to walk by faith with what the Bible tells you, you know, as you, so you mature. And so, to, to a normal person, to be a normal person. Jesus is a normal person. He's the only one. And we're all tr attempting to have him help us get more like him, more normal. We want to get more normal like Jesus is. Yeah. So, um, so he was teaching them. He went again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him. Again, he was teaching them. Notice how often this comes up. Jesus is a Bible teacher. And that made me think of Hebrews 5. Are we to be Bible teachers? We are. Yeah. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Yeah. 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 So Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, so we ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food, so they have regressed. They have regressed in their understanding. Right. You, right. You need to stay in it. You need to stay in it. And what it says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So you do what you know. You know, you do what you know. And as you learn, okay, I'll do that. And, you know, the Lord refines you that way. But you, you need to practice it. So that means when you the, the Word tells you something, you should say, okay, I'll put that into practice, and that will cause you to grow. I mean, you, you have to be careful who your teachers are. Yeah. 
This is a, another instruction for us. This is 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So we want to become familiar with the Bible and know how to accurately handle it. All of us should, because all of us have people in our orbit who need teaching. Every, everyone has people that they could be teaching the Word of God to. So, verse 14, As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, said to him, Follow me. He got up and followed him. So sometimes Jesus chooses people that are surprising to us, doesn't he? So what was the reputation of a tax collector? They were unpopular. Yeah, they they were they were turncoats because they worked for the Romans, and they had a reputation for being cheaters, for being thieves because. Yeah, they would overcharge and take the difference. So, but, you know, the Lord has makes a kind of a policy of choosing the people you wouldn't think. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. So the Lord, you know, the, the downtrodden tend to have more faith than the elite do in society. So, yeah. You know, the, the Lord wants to rid us of pride. That's one of his goals. So, and then Jesus says, the Pharisees say, why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? Now, tax collectors, we know who those are. Sinners, I have, I have a commentary. I, I forgot who the author of it was. One of the Dallas Seminary people from 1983. <laughs> but he said the Pharisees would call people sinners when they didn't obey their Pharisaic rules. So it's like, a, you know, someone saying, oh, you're a sinner because you play cards. Or you're a sinner because you went to a movie. Things like that. Legalistic, man-made rules. They didn't obey. And they would... Yeah. And they would call them sinners. Now, in God's mind, they're not sinners, but to the Pharisees, they were. They didn't obey the Pharisaic traditions. And so, verse 17, hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So who does that include? That includes everybody, except Jesus himself. <laughs> Yeah, everybody but Jesus himself. So, and you know, Jesus, and I'm sure that went right past their heads. They didn't even catch that. You know, you have to admit you're a sinner to know that you need a Savior. They only look out and see how righteous we 
Right, which is itself is a sin, because that's self righteousness. Then, so. Right. Right. Okay, so section D, Jesus is asked about fasting. Can somebody read 18 through 22? Okay, thank you, sir. Yeah, so this includes um, John's disciples. Verse 18, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now the Pharisees, okay, in the Old Testament, how often were you commanded to fast? And No, I mean, in the Old Testament, how often were you commanded to fast? One day. One day a year, on the Day of Atonement, you are to humble yourself before the Lord, and that is the day of fasting. One day, the Day of Atonement. So, yeah, the uh, the Pharisees made a rule that they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. Now, why did they do that? Who knows? <laughs> you know, who knows why? The Lord commanded fasting one day per year on the Day of Atonement. Now, they did fast on other times. The reasons were sorrow when someone had died. Remember, King Saul died, and the men of Jabeth Gilead, and his body was hung up. You know, his head was cut off, his body was hung up on a wall, him and his sons. And the men of Jabeth Gilead came and took him, down and buried his bones, and they fasted for a week in mourning, because they were in mourning. Um, for fear, sometimes, you know, if there is, if an army is coming, Jehoshaphat, I forget what armies were coming against him, but he was concerned. That was when he prayed, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And he proclaimed a fast. For that and they and they prayed and they defeated that army and then um, for decision making in the New Testament they were still doing that for decision making Paul and the elders in Antioch would fast and pray as they appointed other elders no this is when they were going they were appointing elders in the churches they had planted they would fast and pray and lay hands on them. So Jesus basically tells them about three parables to answer their question, why do your disciples not fast? The first parable is, he says, he speaks of a bridegroom and the bridegroom's attendants. He says, at a wedding, should there be fasting? <laughs> you know, when everyone's happy. At a wedding, you know, here's the bridegroom coming with the kingdom. He's coming. If you take him, the kingdom will come. It will be glorious should there be fasting. No, that's inappropriate, you know. Even, even, even my, 
That's right. You lose your diet on wedding day. That's right. You lose your diet on wedding day and you eat whatever you feel like. Then the next one was, they're interesting ones. No one in verse 21 now, in, back in verse 20, it says, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. And, you know, when Jesus died, well, they were sad. That was, that was sad. And they, they did fast and pray when choosing elders in the early church. But then verse 21, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. So the and, and the other one is basically the same. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. The problem with their fasting was that, that they were engaging in legalism. They were engaging in legalism. It was man-made, rule-based fasting, which had no sway with God at all. And Jesus refused to go along with their legalism. He would make points to break their their legalistic rules, which we'll see in the next section. He make a point to break it, to show them that they're not needed. You know? He what he was teaching was faith in the Messiah. He was teaching faith in the Messiah. They were still under the law of Moses. They should still go along with the law of Moses. Um, but the these all these additional rules that the Pharisees and the scribes had put on were to be sloughed off. And we want to avoid legalism like a plague ourselves. People tend to put on rules. We should say, where stands it written? That was the uh, hallmark of the free church when it was formed back in Europe. Where stands it written? That should be our guide, not, you know, or, or the, do some of the cards are demonic or something. You can't play with playing cards because they're demonic. I've, I've heard that. As, you know, that's silly. That's right. That's right. We do not want to be legalistic. So rituals obeyed should be those which are proscribed in the scriptures. Some things are described in the scriptures which are not proscribed. What does that mean? They did these things, but were not commanded to do them. You know, they did some things they did do that God never said to do. So we should, for us, we should look to the epistles. Epistles tell us what to do. We should look to the Proverbs. That is general wisdom that's good any time, all the time. And um, and then not worry about the other stuff. Now, does that mean you can't fast? Of course you can fast if you're sad or if you're concerned or something like that or if you have a strong desire. Yeah. We'll fast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The thing is you can't tell other people to do it. That's what the legalist does. 
the legalist wants to put his rule, which is man-made, on another person. No, you don't do that. And uh, so, you know, my little sweet wife would fast for our girls when they were struggling, things like that. Okay, so uh, we're doing faster than I thought we would. Section E is two Sabbath conflicts, and that is chapter 2, 23 through 3, 6. So I'll read that section. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry, how he entered the house of God in the name of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So there's sin in their minds already. They're looking. They want to accuse him. He said to the man with the withered withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So they were not very friendly. Yeah. Yeah, so verse 23 and 24 you know, Jesus is breaking another man-made rule. And he's having his disciples do so all also. Yeah, so 25 and 26 says, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. So that is a story from or a, uh, an account from uh, 1 Samuel. It's in 21, verses 1 through 6. And uh, the priest gave David the consecrated bread because that was all that he had. Now in Leviticus 24, verses 8 and 9, um, it, it is commanded that the the consecrated bread was for the priests alone. So Jesus is saying there are contingencies that can come up. There's one here that I wrote down. I don't remember what it, what it was. Yeah, this is concerning the picking of the of the grain in someone's field. So Leviticus 23:22, when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So what they were doing was okay. 
You know, they're in somebody's field and they're handpicking the grain and eating it. And that was okay, is according to the law. And then Jesus goes on to say that the Sabbath was made for man. It was a day of rest for man. It was supposed to be good for man. The Pharisees had made it so rule so many rules you couldn't figure out what you're you can do anything. And that is legalism, again. Legalism. And then Jesus claims to be God again. Verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so he's referring back to Daniel 7.13, which was one of Daniel's visions. And it's the same vision we see in Revelation 4 and 5, where he comes to take the, the kingdom from God the Father, and he is designated there as the Son of Man. So that is a claim to Godhood. Then he, he, he must have been walking to synagogue on this Sabbath through the field when they nailed him for the first one, because then he goes into the synagogue and they nail him again, or try to. It says they were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So, they, you know, it sounds like it was a setup. So Jesus destroys their legalistic rules, but not the Mosaic law. Because he told the man to get up. So, you know, the quarterly made it a statement that was interesting. It says Jesus could have just waited until after the service and healed him. Jesus could have waited until the next day and healed him. He didn't do that. He challenged them and he broke their legalistic rules in front of them. We should be the same. You know, we should fight against legalism. Legalism is gives Christians a terrible name. It's a terrible, bad name. Um, it's not necessary. And it's very, you know, it puts a bondage on you. So, um, so he healed him. You know, it's pretty easy for Jesus to do this. He says, stretch out your hand. Immediately it was restored. Then, verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. So the Pharisees were the religious group. Herodians were a political group, and they were supporters of the Herods because they thought that they could get ahead, you know, because the Herods went along with Rome. And so here are these two groups joined together in sin, to form a conspiracy to destroy Jesus. They did not get along, usually. But here, they both wanted to get rid of Jesus, and they began to start to plan how to do that. We have to skip a lesson, so I'm going to give an overview of half of the next lesson, because next week is our conference. So anyway, <laughs> this is uh, from chapter 3, verses 7 through 35. So Jesus drew large crowds. He was healing and casting out demons. Then he chose 12 from among the believing to be his disciples. Then he went home to Capernaum where his family came to get him, saying, and this is the only gospel that says this, that he was out of his senses. 
His family came to get Jesus, saying he was out of his senses. Right here. So they were not believing in him. You know, I know his mother believed in him, but I think his brothers did not at this time. Then scribes came from Jerusalem and committed the unpardonable sin in chapter 3 of Mark, so very early in Mark. And that is where they're attributing his miraculous powers to Satan. And Jesus, you know, that's it for national Israel when they do that. That's when Jesus begins to just deal with the believing and begin to speak in parables to the unbelieving so they can't figure out what's going on. And then Jesus declares those trusting in him that is doing God's will to be his family. Because they said, your family's here. And he said, who is my family? Those who do God's will. We're his family because we believe in him. So welcome family, fellow family members. <laughs> so yeah, cousins. So Lord, we thank you for our dear Jesus and uh, his push against legalism. And we pray that you'd help us to um, be careful and not try to put um, man-made rules upon others or on ourselves. Help us to look in your word and and follow what you say through faith and uh, walk that way. And we will be much more free. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>